yes God your provision it satisfies because it's more than enough hallelujah thank you Jesus I don't know about you but I'm glad I don't serve a stingy God he's not stingy he heals to the utmost he saves to the utmost he provides to the utmost Oh, if you believe that, clap your hands unto him. Praise God. Praise God. We love you. We love you, Jesus. As you're returning back to your seats, the Lord is so good. Praise God. My name is Akeel Thompson. I'm the pastor here at Extraordinary Church. We believe we're the perfect church for imperfect people. We're so glad that you're here today. Want to take a moment and... Uh, Jordan said it. He said, we're the perfect church for imperfect people. We do believe that by the grace of the Lord. We want you to know that you're safe here. And I believe the Lord is talking to us. Before I jump into the word, we make this declaration every week. You know, I believe by faith we're the fastest growing church in Canada, reaching the world. And I know a lot of people are out sick and traveling. And uh, I, I said, Lord, thank you. Thank you that they get it out of this system now. Praise God. Because Palm Sunday is coming up. And Easter's coming up, and we want you to grab some uh, invitations. We have a lot of special things happening Easter weekend and, and, and Good Friday. So uh, many of you all may not be familiar with it, but uh, we introduced it Wednesday. The tickets will be available to purchase this week, but we're going to be showing His Only Son. Uh, it's a brand new movie uh, based upon the uh, patriarchal story of Abraham, the historical account. I think it's going to bless everybody. I've had an opportunity to screen it in advance, and I told the company, I said, we want to show it here at Extraordinary Church. And they said, absolutely. We're going to do that Good Friday at 730. We want you to come bring people. We're going to have popcorn and snacks. You'll be able to enjoy that. But if you weren't watching the midweek bible connection wednesday first of all what's up with that that's a conversation for another time but some of y'all like that's how y'all your faces tell it all when i think like trailer y'all like movie we want you to check out the trailer let it uh, check it out uh we want you to see it they're going to play the trailer for us now abraham lord take now your son and go to the land of moriah and there, offer him. The Lord came to me last night. I must go to Moriah and make a sacrifice to him there. Isaac and I will go alone. Why, Isaac? Because the Lord commands us. Make sure no harm comes to our son. The Lord is a dangerous place. The Lord has set us on this path. He will guide us. This robe belongs to Abimelech, king of Pelissas. I know who owns this robe. I have given your king plenty of tributes. What is your name, old man? Abraham. Why go all this way? Go through all this effort? He has us do this in remembrance. But death is the penalty for sin. You believe that? It's impossible. Is anything too difficult for the Lord? What's your purpose in this? If this is your judgment on me, take my life, not his. Everyone's blind until their eyes are opened. 
The Lord chose that man out from the wicked that hope may endure. Take me! Great time, Good Friday. Come on out and join us, 7.30. You're going to be blessed by the movie. Uh, when we put the link out there, which you'll be able to get it via the app and all that, I think it'll come out to about $8 Canadian. You'll pay it in USD. I think it's 5 bucks, and then it'll convert. Uh, but we're going to have an amazing time. You can start playing something. It just sounds better when you play, praise God. It's just one of those moments. Thank you, Jesus. So uh, thank you, Lord. Let's go ahead. You know what? Um, help me, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Why don't we pray? I'm going to introduce the title of my sermon, and uh, I just want the Lord to have his way. I feel like we're at a place and in a season that's um, really interesting. I keep going back to it. The Lord has placed two things on my heart, and if you've ever ministered behind the pulpit for any consistent amount of time, uh, perhaps you can get your mind around what I'm feeling, but I felt like the Lord gave me two things, and I was kind of betwixt these two things. Um, so I went with the first. I went with the first thing that I felt the Lord speak to me in a very gravitas tone. I was singing a song earlier this week um, by an artist by the name of Clay Cross, uh, and he's old school CCM. I say old school in that like would be 90s. I realize 90s is now old school. Um, but kind of the beginnings of CCM, and he had a song with B.B. Uh, Winans and, and Bill Carlisle, and it's called I Will Follow Christ. And as I was just reading the scripture and worshiping to the Lord and worshiping the Lord, the Lord began to deal with me. And as I was singing that, I felt like the question came to me very strongly. Will you follow? And I, I think we have to ask ourselves authentically, like, like being real. Who are you following? I don't, I don't mean any disrespect, and I'm not here to beat anybody up, but are, you, are we following a biblical Christ? Are we following tradition? Are we, are we following a manufactured Christ? Are we following our dreams and ambitions? Because here's what I know. Here is the fruit of when you know you are following Christ. Can I just give you a sneak preview to the sermon? We could have the altar call right now. It's going to cost you everything. Not one single thing will belong to you. Not one particle of a dream. Not one sliver what you think belongs to you. It will all. And part of the reason is because if we're following him, we consider it all to be dumb. So today I want to talk to you about something that the Lord has put in my spirit. The cost of following. The cost of following. Would you lift your hands and help me pray? Father, in the name of Jesus. I feel this word, it's a little heavy on my spirit, Lord, but I believe that there's liberation. I know there's liberation and hope in your word, God. I pray that you would speak through me, speak to us clearly, 
Help us to hear exactly what your word and spirit is speaking. Re remove any blinders, God, and help us to see clearly, oh Lord. God. Help us to make sure that we're not following something manufactured or some concoction or some fable, but that we are following you, the anointed one, the Messiah, the beginning and the end. Speak to us, God, and we'll give you the glory. We'll come into alignment with what you have for us because we are following you in Jesus' name. Would you give him praise? Praise God. The cost of following. Have you ever noticed, have you ever noticed how distance changes our perspective of some things? when we were receiving the tithe and the offering unto the Lord, our, our first impressions of some things can be different at a distance than up close. You could be looking, how, how many of you all ever flown an airplane and you've flown over a mountain range? And you look and you're like, oh my word, this looks amazing. They do look stunning 25,000 feet up. But try walking and terraining or traversing that territory. It's entirely different. Think of that time you saw a friend at a distance and you were wondering why they didn't speak to you. That's how Pastor Barry does me all the time. I'm like, Barry, Barry. Oh, that's not Barry. You've, you've done that. You've had those moments where you're like, oh, look, there goes so-and-so. And you, you, you go wave, you hit them on the shoulder and they turn around and you're like, oh, my God. This is the wrong person. Because at a distance, you can perceive one thing. But when you get up close and personal, it changes your perspective. Just like, I'm embarrassed to say this, I won't say his name, but I can remember my wife and I, we were, this was years ago, and I have really good eyesight. <laughs> Thank the Lord. I'm looking, right? I'm looking out the distance. We're driving on Hungry Road, I'll never forget, in Richmond, Virginia. I'm driving on Hungry and I look and I'm like, what is, what is so-and-so doing? Like, we're way off, and Sarah's like, that is so-and-so, what is he doing? And I was like, I have no idea. Now, we were close to the vicinity of where this individual lived, but I was like, what is he doing? And Sarah was like, I don't know. And do you know, it was nobody. It was a bunch of bags of trash. And it might have been like a few. It might have been like a few sticks. Took it, and we were like, I was like, oh, we laugh about that so much. I, I have to tell her. And so I was like, Lord, have mercy. And it's amazing how your perspective can change things. Our relationship with Jesus is the same. Many of us have a distorted view, have a distorted, warped, may I even say perverted understanding of God. Because we only try to observe him. at a distance oh it's amazing how our perspective and our understanding changes when we're no longer observing at a distance but we come close to him let me share a story with you uh, a biblical story look at Luke chapter 19 verses 1 through 10 I want you to see this I want to show you the importance of perspective. Just track along with me here for a moment. Jesus entered Jericho and made his way through the town. 
there was a man there named Zacchaeus, and he was the chief tax collector in the region. He had become very rich. He tried to get a look at Jesus, but he was too short to see over the crowd. I want you to put, I want to put emphasis on this. He tried to get a look, a glimpse. He wanted to observe Jesus, but he was too short to see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree beside the road, for he knew Jesus was going to pass that way. And when Jesus came by, he looked up at Zacchaeus and called him by name. Zacchaeus, he said, quick, come down. Okay, he's just trying to get a look at Jesus. Climbs in the tree to observe and Jesus calls him by name and says, Zacchaeus, quick, come down. Woo. Watch this. I must be a guest in your home today. In other words, Zacchaeus, what you're looking at at a distance, whom you're looking at at a distance, wants to interact with you in a close and personal way. I want you to see how I interact with people. And it goes on. Zacchaeus quickly climbed down and took Jesus to his house in great excitement and joy. But the people were displeased. Their perspective. <laughs> he has gone to be the guest of a notorious sinner. They grumbled. Meanwhile, Zacchaeus stood before the Lord and said, isn't this amazing? All of this is happening. Right in this text here, I will give my half my wealth to the poor, Lord. And if I have cheated people on their taxes, I will give them back four times as much. Jesus responded, salvation has come to this home today. For this man has shown himself to be a true son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and to save those who are lost. Praise God. This is so many things happening in this story. Zacchaeus was a Jew who was in partnership with the oppressive government that is overseeing and, and, and ruling and, and tormenting the Jewish people. And he, on top of that, is extorting all kinds of money from them. He's robbing his own people, and it was said that he was very wealthy. So he was good at robbing people. Needless to say, he was hated by his own people. So when he hears that Jesus is coming to town, he assumes that Jesus wouldn't have anything to do with him. That's his perspective. His perspective is that this man, this, this religious man, this God man will have nothing to do with me. But I do want to see him. If I can just get a glimpse of him. So I want to climb up to the tree. Zacchaeus is shocked when Jesus says, come down. You got to understand, Zacchaeus gets in the tree purely for observational purposes. Not to interact with Jesus. Some of us simply want to observe, but not interact with him. I know our mouths say we want to interact with them, but we're just observing. I'm just an observer. The sad truth is that many people settle for this type of Christianity. That, that, 
those observers, that's the breeding ground for religion. Observation without any interaction. Observation without any connection. So he assumes Jesus would just keep on, walk on by. But when Jesus gets to him, he does the unthinkable. He stops, looks up, and says, hey, bro, come down. I'm coming to stay at your house. Can you imagine the enthusiasm? That's why Zacchaeus did it with quick, he did it quickly with excitement and great joy. Zacchaeus is shocked and responds by accepting Jesus' invitation to come to his house. And this is where everything changes. Zacchaeus is like, after an interaction, an up, can you, before just an observer, he's stealing and robbing everybody blind. One up close and personal interaction changes everything. The man is ready to give. He said, I'm taking it all, give it to the poor, and if I've stolen anything, I'm repaying it back four times. One interaction, one up close and personal interaction with Jesus will change everything in your life. And let me just help you. It's the will of God that we have this on a daily basis. We can't interact with him at a distance and on a daily basis. No, no. He is calling us to have an up-close, personal, intimate connection that transforms everything about who we are, and it makes us unrecognizable to our past. Notice, one interaction immediately calls my man Zacchaeus to separate from the very things that had him bound. One interaction with Jesus, he was willing to get rid of it all. Just one, one, I don't know about you, but I thought one day, just a couple of weeks ago, I just wept in the presence of the Lord. I thought, Lord, I have tasted. I, I, I literally, I have feasted at the table of your goodness and your mercy. I was like, if you never do another, how can I ask you to do something else? All you've done in my life. I'm so grateful. Tears are coming down my face. What am I telling? God has been so good to us. If you have one interaction. Just receiving his spirit changed everything for me. I knew in that moment I wanted nothing that the world had to offer. I wanted no high they could offer. I wanted no arousal that it could offer. I only wanted to be in his presence and know that one moment at the feet of the king changes everything. Oh, if you believe that, give him praise. Like that song says, down at your feet, O oh Lord, is the most high place. There's no other place I'd rather be. There's, there's no greater honor, that song goes on to say. And this is the theme of God. This is the theme of the, the scripture. He doesn't want to do anything at a distance. He's wanting to come close. Close to you and I. Close to the Zacchaeuses of the world. Can you imagine and get your mind around that? He wants to be close to you. Praise God. There's another central theme, though, that I want to share with you in Scripture. We know he wants to be close to us. But I'm going to show you how we're close to him. Let me share a story with you. Uh, you all know I am a proponent or a, I'll say, a, a wannabe historian of Abraham Lincoln. 
so much so I'm an avid reader of Abraham Lincoln. I even have, we have probably digital and print, we probably have 4,000 books, and I probably have maybe 100 of those um, probably to Abraham Lincoln. And I'm going to share this with you. This, this is something that grabbed me uh, to give you some context. Uh, the setting, my homeland, uh, it's the capital, Washington, D.C. Uh, the year around 1860, our nation is plunged into a civil war. I realize, you know, I'm an American, y'all know that. My nation, our nation. One of life's most in inexcusable crimes is being committed. There are, I, I, just, I can't fathom it, brothers killing brothers. And there's this church located on the uh, on New York Avenue. It's an angular street. It was a Presbyterian church, and the pastor's name was Dr. Phineas Dinsmore Gurley. Chaplain of the U.S. Senate in 1859, Dr. Phineas ministered in his Presbyterian mode at the New York Avenue Presbyterian Church. There were many presidents who called that their church home. When Dwight Eisenhower attended that church years later, he heard a message of the importance of God in the nation. And it was he who broached the subject of adding the phrase under God to the Pledge of Allegiance from a message he heard at that church. Now, today it's a refuge for the homeless. It's a place where people who need food can find it. It's a place known for its advocacy of those that are marginalized and ostracized. But counselors advised Lincoln to find a church where its pastor held himself aloof and distant from politics. Lincoln settled upon Dr. Phineas and his New York Avenue Presbyterian Church. It would be Dr. Phineas who would counsel the president in dark times when Willie Lincoln's son died while he was in office. It was Dr. Phineas who tried to comfort Mary Todd Lincoln who literally lost her mind at Willie's funeral. To Dr. Phineas's church, Mr. Lincoln would travel with one of his assistants, and instead of sitting in the congregation, there'd be a room off to the side. The president would sit there, and he would keep the door open, and he would listen to, the, uh, to Dr. Phineas's sermons. It was one night after church, Mr. Lincoln walked thoughtfully back to his residence, and his assistant asked the president what he thought of the doctor's sermon. This blew my mind. The president replied, and fragmented phrases, which he was often known to do. The, the content was excellent, son. He delivered it with eloquence. You can tell he put work into that message. Then the president's assistant said, well, then you think it's perhaps the greatest message you've ever heard. The president replied, no, son, I don't. He said, Dr. Phineas forgot the most important ingredient. He forgot to ask us to do something great. That was Dr. Phineas's era. He forgot to ask those who heard the word to do something great. The Bible is filled with great requests. I think of Joseph's brothers when they made a request of him. They came to him after, frankly, their father has died and, and things are moving on. They come to him after they sold him into slavery, ignored his pleas for help, ridiculed him, lied to the dad about them being dead. They asked Joseph, can you forgive us? What about Joshua? While pursuing the enemy, he stopped and commanded the son to be still. What a great request. Joshua knew nothing of astronomy. 
He knew nothing about the orbits and the planets, but he knew God. And so he asked for the sun to stand still, and it did. Or Elisha, who said, God, he said, I, I, I want a double portion. My master's spirit. Elijah told him that, he said, hey, if you see me when God takes me, the request would be granted. It would be, and the mantle of a double anointing fell upon him. Great request all throughout Scripture. But I can think of no greater request for you and I as a believer than the one I'm about to introduce to you right now. Mark 8, 34. When he had called the people to himself with his disciples also, he said to them, whoever desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. No, Jesus wasn't talking to Simon Peter or the beloved John. He wasn't talking to Apostle Paul or Timothy. He was talking to any man, whoever. He was talking to the whoever. He was talking to you. He's talking to me. And he's asking us to do something great. He asked each of us to take up our cross. Follow him. You know, it's fascinating. Jesus doesn't play games with his followers. He, didn't, he doesn't conceal the cost of discipleship. He didn't hide what it would take. He told Simon Peter, you won't go where you want to go, sir. You'll be led about told the apostle Paul, you're going to suffer many great things for my name's sake. He warned the rich young ruler, son, this is, this is going to cost you everything. The pearls demand a great price. The field will cost you treasure. You can't go this way unless you are committed. So open was that he was so open with his message and content that the masses turned from him. See, if Jesus were our pastor, he would not err in this area. He would call us to do something great. He would ask you to follow after him, to take up the cross 24-7 and deny ourselves. Can I tell you? That is normal Christianity. I know some of you are thinking, man, that's too radical. No, that's not radical. That's normal Christianity. Denying ourselves, taking up our cross, and following our master. Realizing that our opinions matter not. Our rights matter not. Our dreams matter not unless they've come from him. The only thing that matters is what our Lord is bidding us to do. God, what do you want me to do? It's not about my pleasure. It's not about my satisfaction. It's not about my degrees in academics. It's not about my relationships. It's all about God. Lead me, Lord. I will follow. Lead me, Lord. I will go. That's what he's telling us. Will we follow him? 
Will it cost us everything? Absolutely. Can I just tell you? It doesn't cost you your reputation. It doesn't cost you the plans you had for your kids. It doesn't cost you your bank account. You've got cheap Christianity. If you haven't suffered, if you haven't bled, if you haven't offered it all again and again and again, this is not the Christianity that God had in mind, according to Scripture. Oh, I feel the Holy Ghost stirring us. I know it's heavy. I know it's heavy. But it'll cost you everything. It'll be worth it, though. Praise God. I'm reminded of this story. I read it from the normal Christian life. See, this is, a lot of times, people can misunderstand The only way, when we say extraordinary, the only way this can be extraordinary is like if Jesus is really the epicenter. It's not, listen, I, I get it. Place is packed. I believe the place is going to be packed. It's not, you know, people out of town and sick and all that. It is the will of God that the church be large. I didn't get enough amens on that. It's the will of God. If you don't know, there were 3,000 added to the church the first day. Let me just help you out. As long as there's somebody that doesn't know Jesus, the church is too small. It's his will that everybody should repent and that none should perish. That means there's room for the 8 billion people on this planet. The church is too small if one of them don't know him. But if we're not careful, we'll think extraordinary is balloons falling out of the sky. Okay, they didn't fall out the sky. They fell out the ceiling. No. Extraordinary is his glory. Sitting in. And us not being able to stand, but with humble faith, humble hearts and broken faces, getting down on our knees, lifting our hands, crying, holy repenting of hidden sin and repenting of known sin and, and denouncing all things that don't bring him glory. That's what's extraordinary. Extraordinary is seeing people come in in wheelchairs but leave them here and walk out on their two feet. Extraordinary is watching marriages come in fragile and broken on the precipice of divorce, sick and tired of one another, vows being renewed, commitments being renewed because he's a miracle worker. That's what's extraordinary. Extraordinary is being a part of a church that transcends any type of politics and economics and socialism and classism and realizes everybody can come whether you're broke, busted, or disgusted or got $2 million in your bank account. There's room for everybody. Extraordinary is saying, hey, everybody come. Be filled. Be healed. Be saved. Extraordinary is this. 24 hours a day, seven days a week, not just on Sunday. That's what extraordinary is. So, this story, 250 years ago, two young Moravian men heard of an island in the West Indies, which was virtually owned by one plantation master. 
This guy was violent. He treated his slaves with complete contempt. He would not allow them to know anything of Christianity. No minister was permitted to come uh, and form a church among them. So you know what these two young Moravian men did? Gripped with a burden, knowing that these people might never hear the gospel. They sold themselves into slavery to that plantation master. The money they received for their own lives, they used to pay for their passage to get to the island. They gave up their lives, Bishop. Gave up their families, their futures to go and live amongst the community of slaves and bring the gospel. Their families come to the docks and bid them farewell, knowing it was highly doubtful they would ever see them again. As the ship pulled out of the harbor, mothers are crying on the shore. The last words ever heard from their sons were these words. May the lamb that was slain receive the war reward of his suffering. May the lamb that was slain receive the reward of his suffering. Do you realize when you praise him, do you praise him and offer worship unto him like, Lord, this is the reward of your suffering. The thank you, Jesus, that you give him. Are you giving him that, realizing this is the reward of his suffering? The prayers that you pray, the time that you lean into his presence, do you realize that's what you're saying is the reward of his suffering. What's crazy is that became the catch cry of that small Moravian community. May the lamb that was slain receive the reward of his suffering. That Moravian community sent out 2,158 missionaries all over the world. Jesus had died for the people who would never hear the gospel unless someone was willing to tell them. Selling your, selling your lives into slavery, that's not normal. Leaving all behind, even a grieving family, that's not normal. So let me ask you something. What is the normal Christian life? Jesus describes the normal Christian life, a life full of devotion. A life so full of devotion that you, you, you love him with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Anything less than total devotion is abnormal. That's not what Jesus asked for. He asked for everything. And by the way, y'all just messed me up. It's so good to see John and Vonathan. Praise God. Love you guys so much. Good to see you. Man, I wish I, wish I was preaching something more cheery. Y'all came in and surprised me. Praise God. I feel bad. Love you guys so much. Look at Mark 8, 34. Listen to it in the Amplified. Jesus called the crowd together with his disciples. Did you catch that? In other words, this message is for everybody. I want everybody here, 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 watch this. What he was doing, I just told you, proximity affects your perspective. So he wanted everybody to be clear. 
those that are outside on the perimeter, and my disciples that are close. Everybody come close. I'll give you a little exercise. Everybody right now, just kind of lean on the edge of your seat. Just kind of scoot on the edge of your seat. On the edge. Come on, come on, come on, come on. Praise God. Some of y'all moved up like three inches. Praise God. Lean on the edge of that thing. Yeah. Lean into what I'm about to say and catch this. Catch this. Here it is. If anyone wishes to follow him, he must deny himself. Set aside selfish interest and take up his cross, expressing a willingness to endure whatever may come. And follow me, believing in me, conforming to my example in living and if need be suffering or perhaps dying because of faith in me. Okay, you can sit back. Some of y'all like this. What am I saying? Give up all rights. That's the normal Christian life. It's not what I want, but it's what he wants. I'm without rights. I'm a slave to Jesus Christ. I don't have the right to be hurt and stay hurt. I don't have the right to be offended and stay offended. I don't have the right to put you down. I don't have the right to live the way I want to live. I don't have the right. Take up your cross. Not my cross, your cross. Christ's cross was for others. You have a cross for others. I'm not talking about someone who gives you a hard time, by the way. I'm not talking about a sickness that's just a thorn. I'm talking about something you voluntarily pick up. Pick up cross to minister to the kids downstairs. Pick up cross to teach a Bible study on your only night off. You pick up a cross to forget what others might think about you and share the love of God with somebody you don't know. You pick up a cross to change the lives of others. You pick up a cross to suffer affliction for his name's sake. You pick up a cross and you say, it's not about me. It's all about others. You pick up a cross when you say, God, you're worthy of my praise. I'll praise you when I feel like it, when I don't feel like it. And I won't do it half-heartedly. I'll do it wholeheartedly with all that I have. Period. So the response that we must have must be great. See, see, Jesus told these churches in the end times, he said, he said, man, your name is great. Like extra, I had a pastor tell me, I was doing something online for them, and, you know, they were doing something. I can't remember what it's called, but he was something in the living room. I don't know. He was like, man, he was like, extraordinary church. He's like, I love the name of the church, bro. He was like, that thing is fire. This is kind of what Jesus was telling He was like, you got a great name, but you're dead. Three things that can cause a church to die. One, faith without works. In other words, no proof of your faith. Two, worship without a washing. What am I talking about? We, we, we can't worship with unrepentant hearts. We can't lean into his presence and offer him everything 
if we have sin in our lives. I didn't say perfection. I'm just, I'm just talking about we can't harbor that. All I'm saying is acknowledge it. He knows you and I have it. We have to confront it. Let me just put this in your pocket. You can't change what you're unwilling to confront. And then here's the last one. Love without sacrifice. You can't love without sacrifice. So our only response to be great is this. Take up your cross. I read the story of a businessman who was selling a warehouse property he owned, and the building had been emptied for months and needed all types of repairs. The windows were smashed in, leaks all over the place, trash thrown you know, all over the building. And the businessman who was showing up to purchase the building uh, was like, hey, yeah, you know, I'll, I'll, I think I'm going to buy the building. He was oh, great. Well, look, I'm going to fix the windows. I'm going to fix the roof leaks. I'm going to get rid of this trash and blah, 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 blah. He said, I'll, I'll do all that. And the, the guy who was going to buy the place said, you can forget about all of that. When I buy this place, I'm going to build something completely different than what you see. I don't want the building. I want the property upon which the building sits. Likewise, God didn't come into our world to rescue what meager things we build upon. He came to wipe the slate clean of all of our junk. Our righteousness is like filthy rags. He wants to wipe the slate clean, get out all of the debris. He wanted you and you only so he could start over with you. He doesn't want anything you have. He just wants He just wants you. Martin Luther wrote a poem. Um, and this poem, I'm going to read it to you. And I'm going to close. I'm going to close. I've got a few more notes, but I'm going to close. I feel the Holy Ghost pulling on us. I ask our musicians to come. William Borden, who uh, died at the age of 25, he earned a fortune from the silver mines in Colorado. And his parents provided him with a top-notch education. He went to Yale, Pastor Barry. He did seminary at Princeton. Uh, and the, the Bordens, they wanted their son to be successful. At the age of seven, this kid recognizes he's called to be a missionary. He says, Mom, Dad, I want to be a missionary. His father told him he had to attend college first. He did. But while at college, he started a mission for sailors. And he worked diligently at that mission throughout his college career. He wanted to be a missionary specifically to China. During a year in Egypt as a missionary, he contracted meningitis. And he died at the age of 25. Thousands have read his story. You can Google it. You can Google William Borden, Cairo, and you'll, you'll see it. But at the base of his tombstone there's a sentence and it's this apart from faith in Christ there is no explanation for this life I want us to stand I 
no wonder William Borden lived this kind of life. I want you to listen to the poem his mother would read to him by Martin Luther every night before he went to bed. Just as I am thine own to be, friend of the young who lovest me, to consecrate myself to thee, O Jesus Christ, I come. In the glad morning of my day, my life to give, my vows to pay. With no reserve and no delay, with all my heart, I come. I would live ever in the light. I would work ever for the night. I would serve thee with all my might. Therefore, to thee, I come. Just as I am young, strong, and free, to be the best that I can be for truth and righteousness and thee. Lord of my life, I come. A religion that gives nothing, costs nothing, and suffers nothing, and is worth absolutely nothing. You and I, we're on a mission. We're not on an outing. We're not having church. I told, the, told our fam on Friday night, the church doesn't have a mission. The mission has a church. I, I, I'm not a tourist. I'm a pilgrim. This world is not my home. I'm just passing. And I think the word got back to Dr. Phineas because he said something powerful when he stood at the funeral of Abraham Lincoln. Must have got back to him what Lincoln said. This is what he says, and I quote him. He says, let our principal anxiety now be that this new sorrow may be a sanctified sorrow. That it may lead us to a deeper repentance to a more humbling sense of our dependence upon God and to the more unreserved consecration of ourselves and all that we have. Dr. Phineas learned from his mistake. Never fail to ask for something great. So, this afternoon, I ask you something great. Will you be willing to deny yourself. Take up your cross. Follow him. Thank you, Jesus. I'm so glad those that are watching online, that's the altar call. Come back and see us in person. Palm Sunday is going to be amazing. We honor you. Have an amazing one. That's it. I have, I have no other plea. If you'll come, you'll come. That's no pressure. It's just, I can't. If, you, if you'll deny yourself, take up your cross and follow him.